0: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host Chibezianakor, and on this episode, we'll be talking about why people conflate tsunami and Adult Swim action. Then we'll get into the Lenovo Chromebook Duet and the future of Chromepads, and after that, we'll get into the second life of Avatar: The Last Airbender on Netflix. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. All right, so first up, we'll be talking about why people conflate tsunami and Adult Swim action. And this is a very special topic because the day that this episode will be released, aka May 26th, 2020, is the 8th anniversary of when Toonami was officially revived on Adult Swim, so I thought this would be a great topic to explore. To start off, let me give a brief introduction of both Toonami and Adult Swim, if you don't mind. So, for those of you who know me personally, you know this is a block that is near and dear to my heart. To this very day and so the block Toonami first aired in 1997 on March 17th on Cartoon Network and it was to be their action animation block that showed both anime and American action animation and that block had lasted up until 2008 on Cartoon Network and was revived on May 26, 2012 on Adult Swim and still broadcasts on Adult Swim every Saturday night to this day. And that's just a brief overview of Toonami. And now we can get into Adult Swim action And so Adult Swim Action was a block that is definitely inspired by Toonami. And it premiered in February 2002 on Adult Swim and lasted all the way up until May 19th, 2012, before Toonami revived on Adult Swim. And so you have these two blocks and one clearly influenced the other. Toonami clearly influenced Adult Swim Action. If you were there for the initial run of Adult Swim Action, you would know that it's heavily influenced by Tsunami, just based on how well that packaging is edited and also the similarities of the shows that were on Adult Swim Action, and so that leads me to why people seem to conflate Adult Swim Action and Toonami. And so if you are interested in animation and you've ever gone on to social media and noticed that a show that had never aired on Toonami was mentioned by someone on social media saying that it actually did air on *Tsunami*. Like, for example, Death Note or Scryde or Pilot Candidate. Sometimes you'll find people saying that, oh, I remember watching Code Geass on Toonami, or I remember watching Death Note on Toonami, or I remember watching Pilot Candidate on Toonami. None of those shows aired on Toonami at all. Those shows actually aired on Adult Swim Action, but people seem to think that they aired on Toonami because of three reasons that I think are the most obvious reasons why people seem to mix up Toonami and Adult Swim Action and those are packaging similarities, schedule proximity, and programming similarities. So I'll start with packaging similarities. So like I said, if you were around for the beginning of Adult Swim Action, you would know that Adult Swim Action was clearly heavily influenced by Toonami. And some of the people who worked on Toonami were actually the people who were involved in setting up Adult Swim Action. So it kind of makes sense that both of those blocks would be very similar in terms of packaging. And even for shows that started on Adult Swim Action and later got onto Toonami, like Yu Yu Hakusho, they even recycled some assets from the Adult Swim Action broadcast, and they repackaged it for Toonami. So the packaging were very similar between the two blocks. And that was something that definitely carried through in the early, in the mid-2000s, partially some of the late 2000s as well, but not as much. The similarities started to dissipate in the late 2000s because Toonami was on its deathbed by then on Cartoon Network, and so Adult Swim action was starting to have its promos and its packaging conform to the rest of Adult Swim packaging so yeah Adult Swim action kind of lost that similarity to Toonami throughout the years until of course when Toonami took over in 2012 And so the next point that I want to bring up is schedule proximity. So if you ever noticed when watching Tsunami and Adult Swim back in the early 2000s and part of the mid-2000s as well, you would know that sometimes Adult Swim action would come on right after Tsunami and that created this idea of kind of an extended tsunami because of the constant stream of anime, not even taking into consideration the branding shift from Cartoon Network into Adult Swim because once you watch a certain program at 10.30, it has a Cartoon Network logo at the bottom and then the next program at 11 would have the Adult Swim logo. But people aren't paying attention to that They're paying attention to the shows And I think that Because of that schedule proximity And the packaging similarities Between Toonami and Adult Swim I think both of those Played hand in hand In why people Confuse Toonami And Adult Swim action But there's also a third point That I want to bring up and that's programming similarities and so *Tsunami* and Adult Swim Action have very similar programming on them and it makes sense Toonami was for the kids while Adult Swim Action as the name implies is more for adults so Adult Swim Action got shows from *Tsunami* like Tenchi Muyo, Outlaw Star and Mobile Suit Gundam, and so you have these shows that were originally on Toonami coming over to Adult Swim Action to bolster that lineup, but then you also had shows from Adult Swim Action coming over to Toonami, the biggest one being Yu Yu Hakusho. And so, you could see the similarities in between the two blocks, but then also, not just for specific titles, but also in, like, the genres of titles. You would see shonen on both blocks, you would see mecha on both blocks... Like, for example, you would watch DBZ on Toonami, and then you'd watch Yu Yu Hakusho on Adult Swim, or you'd see Roroni Kenshin on Cartoon Network, and then you would see Inuyasha on Adult Swim, and you see how the programming is very similar. Or another example, you'd see Gundam on Cartoon Network, you'd see... Scried on Adult Swim The programming, they're too similar to ignore And I think that all three of those points combined Are why people get the image in their head That certain shows aired on Toonami When they in fact didn't And as much as I have the urge to want to correct them. Most times I just resist that urge, but let me know what you think. Do you agree with my reasons? Do you have another reason why people conflate tsunami and Adult Swim action? Let me know on social media. I'll have links in the show notes for you to do that. All right, so I think that will do it for this topic. Happy 8th anniversary to *Tsunami* on Adult Swim. I hope there are many more. And yeah, that's it. Up next, we'll be talking about the Lenovo Chromebook Duet and the future of Chromepads. Then after that, we'll go into the second life of Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, it doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, if I can do it, You can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So I mean, that's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's a N C H O R dot F M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. Welcome back, and now we can get into the Lenovo Chromebook duet and the future of Chrome pads. So, Chrome pads are what I like to call Chrome OS tablets, just to simplify the name so I don't have to keep saying Chrome OS tablets so for all intents and purposes on this podcast I will talk about Chrome OS tablets as Chrome pads from here on out so Google has been trying to compete with the iPad for quite some time and Apple pretty much completely dominates the competition and it's not even close and so Google tried to compete with Apple in the tablet space first in the form of Android tablets and while the first wave of them were going well thanks to the Nexus 7 and devices like that they eventually started to fade in popularity over time, and that was because of the lack of optimized apps for the Android tablet ecosystem. And so Google quickly shifted gears into having Chrome OS be the operating system of choice for their tablets. And so ever since they started doing that, they released or I think one of the first tablets they released on Chrome OS was the Pixel Slate. And the Google Pixel Slate did not do well. As I said in a previous episode, that tablet just didn't perform very well compared to the competition. It was very laggy. It just had a lot of problems with it, or it was too expensive. It had a pretty low-end processor, but it was priced too high. It was a mess when it launched, and it was such a monumental failure that Google eventually just exited the tablet space entirely, and so Google no longer makes first-party tablets for Chrome OS, which is pretty sad because I think they could make some more. And yeah, I talked about that in the previous episode, so you can go ahead and check that out. But anyway, now in this new wave of Chrome pads, the first Chrome pad that we have leading the charge is the lenovo chromebook duet and this is a device that a lot of people had really anticipated ever since it debuted at ces this year which is the consumer electronics show that occurs every january but anyway once that device was shown off people were very excited about it and now it's released and it's gotten pretty good reviews and so I want to talk about like the features of the tablet like it's it's a 10-inch tablet that comes with a keyboard case in the box so that's normally something that you would have to pay extra for on on other tablets like the Surface devices, even Google's Pixel Slate, and then also, of course, the iPads. So the fact that that comes in the box is pretty nice. It's a 16 by 10 aspect ratio, so 1900 by 1200 for the screen in terms of pixels. And then in terms of IO, you have only one USB-C port, There is no headphone jack on that device, which it's pretty laughable that Lenovo actually released that with no headphone jack when they could have put one in there. And I mean, the competition has tablets with headphone jacks at that price. Like, Apple even puts a headphone jack in the base level iPad. And then you also have the Microsoft Surface Go, that has a headphone jack, so I don't know why Lenovo didn't put a headphone jack on this tablet, but whatever. So, it also comes with four gigs of RAM and 128 gigs of storage, and it comes with a MediaTek processor in there, so that means it's an ARM processor, and that should work Pretty well with Android apps because Android apps are already, for the most part, compiled for ARM architectures. So, pretty much processors that are not made by Intel or AMD. So, yeah, and I think that it looks like a pretty compelling device for a lot of people. And I'm happy that people are finally getting their hands on it. I wish I could have gotten my hands on it, but. It was sold out at pretty much every retailer, as most Chromebooks are thanks to this pandemic. So yeah, I don't know when I'm going to be able to get one or if I'm going to be able to get one, but the most I can do right now is admire it from afar. And based on the reviews that I've seen of that tablet, it looks like it's a pretty good device to have especially with its smaller size at 10 inches. I think it will be very palmable or very easy to hold in the hand because I have the Pixel Slate and while it's improved so much over time because of Google's software optimization for Chrome OS, there's just, the hardware is just something that once you have it, you have it. So for the Pixel Slate, it's, very heavy like I can't really hold it for that long without getting tired so I would have to put it on a lap desk of some sort if I want to like watch content on it for a long time but with the Lenovo Chromebook Duet you could probably hold that for much longer and it won't weigh so much on your hand that's just a product of its size so I think I think that would be a good Chromebook, especially for students, but also for people who want just a mini portable tablet that you can get some light work done. You can just pop the keyboard case on there and then boom, you're good to go. You're typing up your emails, you're web browsing, you're doing all that stuff very instantly. And so the next thing I want to talk about is where I think Chrome pads can go from here. And so for Chrome pads, I think that while there haven't been as many as like just regular Chromebooks. By Chromebooks, I mean the laptops. And so you have the regular Chromebooks and then you have the two-in-ones. And so I think that many manufacturers have been focusing more on those because why fix what ain't broken but i think that as the lenovo chromebook duet gets more attention and more demand i think more companies will be stepping up to put out more chrome pads into the market. I think that's a good thing for every one of us, because competition creates innovation, and so we can't really let Apple just go uncontested for quite some time. There's got to be some competition there. I also think that if Google decides to make their own processors, they could re-enter the tablet space, and they could probably make a good tablet that's actually optimized for the software that's running on it, or vice versa. And I think that will be a pretty good thing for all of us in the tech space, so yeah. What do you think? Do you think that Chromepads will become more of a thing? Or do you think that Google should just not focus on tablets anymore and just move on to better things? Because I think that Google should work with more manufacturers to produce Chrome OS tablets. But let me know what you think on social media. And that will do it for this topic. Up next, we'll be getting into The Second Life of Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be right back. Welcome back, and now we can talk about The Second Life of Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix. And so, Avatar The Last Airbender is a show that was on Nickelodeon. In the mid-2000s, and lasted until the late 2000s, and it has three seasons, and it's been regarded as one of the best Nicktoons of all time, and rightfully so. It definitely has great character development, it has great characters, period. It has an engaging story, and great character dynamics, and a great setting, and everything about it is just wonderful. And so, the problem with Avatar The Last Airbender was that, for a while... People couldn't stream it, or it wasn't very easily accessible. And so you have now an entire generation of people who haven't seen Avatar The Last Airbender. And so it recently came on Netflix earlier this month, and people are talking about it again, and people are making memes about it. And it's great to see people who watched it as a child and people who didn't either because it never occurred to them to watch it as a kid or they were just too young. People are watching it for the first time and discovering what a great show it is. And so I think it's a wonderful thing. I think that if you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. I will have a link in the show notes for you to do that. But right now, I want to get into what Netflix are able to get out of the newly found interest in the show now that it's on Netflix. So what does Netflix get out of Avatar and all the buzz being created about it and all the memes and everything? Well, Netflix is very active on social media and so they can see in real time what people are saying about Avatar and what things people like about Avatar and what they don't like about it. And because there's a live-action Avatar The Last Airbender, series coming to Netflix which I'm not too sure about because of the movie that came out in I think 2008 or so I can't remember but either way it was bad so I'm a bit wary about the live action adaptation but it gives Netflix an idea of what people liked about Avatar, what they didn't like about it, so they could, you know, try and bring those elements over into the live action adaptation of the show. And the views that are on Netflix give Netflix the data that they need to try and figure out if the show is popular enough and that if they can make other shows like it. And so I think it would be in Netflix's best interest to make a show that's kind of like Avatar, which we kind of already see with shows like The Dragon Prince and things like that. So now that Avatar is popular again, I think that Netflix could definitely use the data that it's able to get in this age of social media to its advantage and try and produce shows that are just like Avatar and that people will gravitate towards. Now, whether or not whatever show that Netflix decides to make in the wake of Avatar's popularity will be considered a classic like Avatar is or not, I don't know, but we'll see if and when that happens. I think that Avatar's newfound popularity is a really good thing for animation fans and for really for everyone because if people who didn't watch it maybe this newfound buzz will give them the incentive to watch it because of FOMO because what else are you gonna do during this pandemic so yeah I think that all the buzz surrounding Avatar is very much needed right now so if you haven't seen it go watch it you won't be disappointed It's an awesome show. Let me know what you think about it, especially if you're watching it for the first time. If you're revisiting it, let us know what you think. Is it as good as you remember? Is it better, worse? Let me know on social media. I'll have a link in the show notes for you to do that. And yeah, that will do it for this topic and this episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And also, thank you for staying safe and staying at home and following the CDC and WHO guidelines. Also, if you have any questions or if you have any comments about the subjects that were talked about in this episode, let us know on our social media. We'll have links to that in the show notes. Thank you for listening once again. I am Chibaze Anakor, your host, signing off.